0: Hello and welcome to the Riding Unicorns Monthly Roundup, where Hector and I just have a chat and we don't have a guest on, we just talk about things that are happening in the market. We did experience some connectivity issues for this episode, but we have tried to stitch it together so it makes sense and we hope you enjoy listening to it.
1: Thanks. Hello everyone, we are going to talk a bit about who we've spoken to over the last month or so, what we've enjoyed hearing. Also, what's been going on in the market and and what we're interested in, as well as just a general discussion that James and I enjoy having. So, James, yeah, I want to hear what you've enjoyed over the last month or so in terms of recordings.
0: Yeah, so we've had a really good month with Riding Unicorns. We had David Simmons from Wealthify, Simon Franks from Love Film, Sitar from Connect Ventures and Amy from Sifted. So we've had a really good mix of guests this month hearing a founder like Simon talk was just incredible so I really loved that episode I think we were both kind of buzzing at the
1: end of it which is cool totally um, his, his enthusiasm is totally infectious and the passion with which he speaks uh, particularly getting him onto the philanthropy part of the conversation
0: absolutely absolutely fascinating and what I like is he's he's like, like a true entrepreneur in the sense that the outcome of success is not cash and go and sit on a beach. It's more resources to do more so that he can do more. It's like yeah. it's you know, I love that kind of recycling of energy and capital and resource yeah. into bigger, more ambitious projects.
1: It's such a building mindset, always spotting things that need need fixing, need improving, um, and then just charging ahead with how to Go and fix and improve those things.
0: Yeah. And then I also really enjoyed Amy's episode. Well, I enjoy all the episodes, but Amy's episode, I thought we touched on some really important topics, particularly around the amount raised by female founders and stuff. And I think we genuinely talked about some ways that people can maybe improve that. And I think it's really important. And actually, there's been a lot of spin-off content and discussion and interest off the back of that episode, which is always good because we do want to foster conversation and break down norms and problems with the sector and things like that so I thought that was good as well.
1: Awesome one of the things I know you're incredibly passionate about being an advocate for the UK VC ecosystem I just want to hear and, and discuss what the next 10 years means for VC and what I'm thinking is we've touched on it in a couple of our conversations with guests so how do we think that you know funds are going to be Um, disrupted if at all Um, and yeah what does that mean for for angel networks like Pringle Capital and for traditional VC funds at stages and also at the later stages?
0: Yeah it's an interesting question which is quite difficult to answer if I'm being honest but I think there will always be a place for funds because pooled capital has been around for donkeys and will continue to be around and whether it's people who don't have access or don't have time or don't have expertise, there will always be a place for pooled capital to get exposure or allocation to certain sectors, things like that. So I think that will continue. The makeup of those funds might be slightly different. The way they draw down capital might be slightly different. Um, Who the LPs are will hopefully be very different So there's a lot of change that will happen in that regard. I think that VC funds will continue to have a space and then they will continue to have a very selective entry model to them. And although that annoys a lot of people who aren't getting access to that capital, that is the way it works. It's like not everyone can go to Harvard. So, you know, the the same is true. Not every company will raise VC money and not every company should
1: raise VC money. So that's what I think about the fund side of things. What do you I think, think? Just I think about it a little bit differently. I think founders want to take the money from the people who, placed in terms of basically raising the next round, once you've met probably a certain level of sort of personal connection. Um, so you want to like the people you're you're partnering with as a as a founder. But beyond that, you want to be taking money from someone who can really help. Whether that's hands-on help with strategy, with connections network, with fundraising at the next round. And so all of these things feed into to founders' decisions. And I think with these super angels, I think there's a massive appeal to taking money from exited founders, from senior employees, from successful startups, because of the lessons they've learned and the sort of war stories they have. And so many of them have have made so many mistakes and seen so many mistakes that it truly is value add if the company is operating in a similar space or doesn't even need to be in the same space if you're talking about growing pains of a company for example and so i think undifferentiated money will become harder and harder to deploy into the best companies well
0: i think one thing you have picked up on there is that undifferentiated will die if you don't innovate you'll die so you know funds that don't have a usp will fail to be successful in the long run so that's why funds have different angles, whether it be a a scout program or you know, deeper pockets to follow, or they they can deploy faster than anyone, you know, we've got funds that are named speed invest and stuff like that, because they know that statistically founders care the most thing about the speed of getting the money into the bank account, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So you always got to have an edge. You've always got to be able to differentiate and it can't just be, we've been around for 20 years, so you want our money, because that that will cease to be a USP. Um, so I definitely agree with you there. And I think that being value-add is just one way that you can be differentiated, and I think that will become a lot more common. I mean, VCs have been talking about being founder-friendly for 20 years plus, and there's still not a lot of them. So you know, there's still a lot of work to do. There was that report recently that only... Eight percent or ten percent of founders, whatever, feel like they got value from their VC. That obviously has to change. Can't continue. They, they, you will you'll not attract the best deals. You'll not attract the best founders, and you'll probably get worse returns if you can't have an impact on that business and be strategically relevant and valuable. Then it's probably not the right deal. So yeah, I definitely think there's there's still a long way to go. There's a lot of opportunity for new general partners that can be that value add so absolutely and hopefully a lot of them have got direct operator experience so that you know it balances the playing field
1: a little bit how far do you think personal connection can go in winning deals i think
0: it can be incredibly powerful i've recently experienced firsthand the power of staying in touch and friendly and energized and positive about a business way before I was able to potentially support or invest or you know become a shareholder and that company coming back to me and saying we've basically raised the round but do you want some like can, can you get involved or how, how can we work together there's no reason for them to reach out to me they don't need the money and to be honest it's one of the first examples of that actually paying back through you know, getting on with them and believing in them as, as a team. So I definitely think it can be powerful. Um, however, founders are entrepreneurs. They like a good deal. And if the terms are better and it gives them more control, more power, more resource, are they going to be tempted to take it from a less appealing person or someone that they don't know as well or something, you know, who knows? You know, with, again, back to the speed thing if you're Tiger Global and you can move really quickly with a big check at a huge valuation, does the founder care who's writing it at the end of the day? I'm not sure if they do. So I think there's both sides of the argument. Maybe it's more important at the early stage where it is the founder raising and it's less of like a head of investor relations raising a series E. It's the founder. They get excited by other people that get excited by what they're trying to do because they're dedicating their life to this thing. So if you can get on board with that, you're part of their team. If you can't, the energy saps out the room.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it can mean that the underdog wins the race, but I don't think it is necessarily enough to win on its own every time.
0: No, the example I gave earlier, I'm not getting better deals, better in terms than anyone. I'm just being offered it. (laughs) <laughs> which is
1: yeah is, which is enough like a, which is a huge win you know Massive is win for at this stage. yeah
0: um, yeah maybe in the future if bigger reputation bigger deeper pockets you know and we can compete more on amount invested and things like that maybe we can negotiate better terms and those terms might be more receptive because of the relationship things like that but as it stands i'm not getting better terms but i'm getting access and access is Half the trouble because the best deals are inaccessible. And that's where the, like, the seed stage comes in. It's such a great event for the tech scene in the UK because it's giving access to very high quality companies that have been selected from a panel of the top VC funds in the UK and giving people a chance to listen in and learn and potentially invest via an SPV into these companies. And that's, that's access. And we want more of that. And as a VC, you're always
1: looking for access to the best deals. Amen. Very interesting. And I think the other thing that I wanted to talk about is just where we see the big opportunities coming from over the next 20 years. Like lots of impact funds cropping up and, and they're investing in sustainable companies, ethical companies and companies solving the big issues of our of our time. Climate change, societal and things like that. We constantly talk to to companies and ask um, investment prospects of ours. You know, when you're selling to companies, is this something that's going to save them money, or is it something that's going to make them money? And it's much easier to sell sell something into a company if it's going to make them money, so they can easily measure the ROI. Um, so, yeah, I think the the big issues that society faces seem to be the things that will give rise to huge opportunities but i'm just interested to hear your take on 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 to the point where there are people to pay for these solutions and and perhaps what else you think um are the big opportunities over the next 20 years or so
0: yeah so it's interesting so my fund like my area of investment is fintech prop tech and insurtech and they're three sectors that are fairly popular the uk has a structural advantage in all three of them and generally there's quite a lot of money swishing around in those sectors so the total addressable market is huge etc cetera, etc cetera. if i look beyond those i think that there's a real opportunity within agri tech and i think it's funny because if you say to an investor oh, um oh i'm i'm banking as a service i'm selling software to banks you 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 probably fill a war chest pretty quickly of capital to to go and do that if you say i'm building software for farmers it's going to change the world people don't want to invest in that weirdly um because they're like oh how scalable is that how accessible are those as a buying you know unit as a profile and we need to sort of somehow change that as a perception because actually farmers are generally getting younger because they're being inherited by the next generation who are digitally savvy um they're online, they're available, they're open to tech solutions. They have to cut their cost base. So they're quite interested in software to do that. They need new revenue streams. So they're interested in software to do that. And there's a very clear buyer profile that is in every country all over the world. And it's one of the largest markets in the world. And it has an impact angle. So there's there's like loads going for it, but there's not a huge amount of money going into it. And there's a I think you sort of need that flywheel of success of a couple of big unicorns in the agri-tech space to get everyone else excited about it. But what I think is the opportunity to go to your question about where is the kind of blue sky, being an angel investor into a few agri-techs. I'm not talking about vertical farming. I'm not talking about bringing farming indoors. I don't necessarily agree with that as more energy consumption or blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about like proper agri-tech. And I think there's an opportunity for people to get in to a few things and then get these impact funds that have got loads of money to try and save the world to come in later and really scale them globally. And I think that's quite exciting. I think it's also really hard because there's a lot of really bad like carbon offsetting subscription platforms and stuff like that, which I really don't like. But I do think that there's a lot of money to be made in agri-tech but naturally, the cream will rise to the top. I'm talking about the top one percent of companies in that space will do very well, like any sector. You know, it'll be the the top, top, top businesses. But there's a huge market there that needs sorting: more software, more impact, carbon removal, new revenue streams, cost saving, new technology—the whole lot. And it doesn't have to yeah. be hardware. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be non-scalable as how people are perceiving it at the moment all investors will will probably interested in seeing stuff in that space at the moment yeah i remember
1: actually talking when i joined episode one in my interview process a little bit about agri-tech because i think it's i also think it's a massive opportunity um what 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 do you think farms are going to look like in the future 20 years from today
0: hopefully not very tidy and what i mean by that (laughs) is they're not all like pristine with like pebbles underneath the the crops to appeal to the Tesco's buyer that comes and does a visit once every three years hopefully they'll allow for wilding and regenerative farming and things like that which is how we can capture more carbon within the soil which improves yields it creates a new carbon credit which the farmers can go and sell there's lots of opportunities by not appealing to the apple has to be exactly this size to go into Tesco's and the orchard must look exactly like this to appeal for the gallery page on our website and stuff like that we have to go back to like what is the thing we're trying to fix here and what is the best use of this square footage of land I think that's really important so I think they'll look messier and with but with more kind of technology running through them.
1: That's interesting yeah because I was thinking like there are a couple of companies that spring to mind so one is One that's done well, actually, on the sort of publicity front is Small Robot Company. And they they create basically autonomous vehicles for doing certain tasks that a farmer has to do, like weeding, checking yields, eventually some planting. And I think it's going to be cool seeing the autonomy that reaches farms and the efficiency that will bring and the increase in yields, as as you were saying. And also another company that I think is quite interesting and cool is an automated strawberry picker. So it's a really narrow base machine that basically uses machine vision. It'll go down the, the growing aisles on a strawberry farm and it can identify when a strawberry is ripe, it has a little sort of pincer, um, scissor arm that reaches out and, and clips the, the strawberries if they're ripe. It will then also be able to use machine vision to grade the strawberry. And if it's an A grade, it goes into the A bucket, reaches around and puts it in there. If it's a B, it puts it in the B bucket, et cetera. And I think those sorts of things are really cool, particularly if we're going to see the the sorts of shortages of workers that we're seeing at the moment in the UK.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, look, the you go and watch Clarkson's farm and basically farming doesn't make enough money and the price cannot go up that much. You know, the, the the end consumer cannot afford for it to go up much. So there has to be cost-saving solutions out there. There has to be, but there also can be new ways of generating revenue, whether it be through um, the rest of the plant that the strawberry pick is not picking, being turned into some sort of energy source, or, as I said earlier, you know, wilding, allowing for you know, carbon credit mining, essentially off the same bit of land, things like that. There's there's so much that can be done. So I think it's exciting.
1: Indeed. Shall we move on to the dinner party guest game? Because we have asked this of all of our guests so far in season two, and we haven't invited anyone to our own dinner party. So we sh- we should really do that. We could even join up. We could even have a big dinner party, the two of us with our guests. I'd love to hear your guests if you have any thoughts. Yeah.
0: So the first is maybe quite standard, but it's a guy called Sir Michael Moritz. He's a British VC in the Valley. He's I think the managing partner of Sequoia and Sequoia are invested into something like 12 or 13% of the world's unicorns, which I just think is an astonishing statistic. He's been in VC sort of for the last 30 years and is just a seasoned veteran. And I'd love to talk to him. Imagine him being your mentor when you're starting out a career as VC and he's your guy. You you couldn't really pick a better one. So I think that... You know, I'd love to have him around the table. We've invited him onto the podcast. Sadly, he's said he's not doing podcast appearances anymore, but we'll keep trying. Second is I have a Peloton and I'm a Peloton shareholder as well. Um, I actually used Klarna to buy now, pay later. And that freed up the capital that I was going to use to buy the bike to invest in the shares And the shares did very well. So now I've got free Peloton and subscription for a couple of years. So that's good. And so I'd really like John Foley, the founder of Peloton. I'd be really interested to talk to him about how he manages supply chain, hardware, software, content, brand, everything. It's one of the most complicated businesses to launch, but absolutely fascinating business model. Average fitness company has 90% churn rate within 30-day cohort. They have 0.64% a year churn rate. So it's just completely turned fitness upside down. So I'd love to talk to him. And then the third one is a guy called Christian Perslow, who is the chief executive of Aston Villa Football Club. And I'm not an Aston Villa fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. But uh, Liverpool fans will not like me for mentioning him because he was the CEO at Liverpool and he did a deal to sell the club and he was very unpopular after that. But... Uh, I've seen him interviewed four or five times. I think he's incredibly impressive. The way he speaks is just exceptional. And he did a video recently when Aston Villa sold Jack Grealish for 100 million, their captain, their best player. And he came out and did a video and explained the exact thought process behind selling Jack, why it was right for Jack, the club, everything. And then he went through the new signings this summer, Danny Ings, Buendia, Leon Bailey, and explained exactly how they'd gone through scouting the players that had the right attributes and statistics to directly replace Jack Grealish and laid it all out for the fans. And the, the level of communication and management and leadership and expectation management, it was just incredible. I absolutely loved it. And I'm a really into my sport I'd love to do something in sport one day and Christian Perslow is a finance guy in the sports world and I just think he's really impressive so those are my three
1: yeah yeah that's really good of course you had to throw in a curveball with the with the with the final guy Um, (laughs) yeah I wasn't expecting that that's for sure how about you Hector who would you have so I I would have I've got three and then I've got a fourth which changes one of them so anyway we'll, we'll go ahead and see how it goes so I, I would have the Dalai Lama because I think we've already had that on the show actually, um but I think it'd be just you yeah, know, maybe it's a bit cringy or a bit cliche, but I just think he's probably one of the most amazing people, amazing humans that there is, and I think you know I'm sure he has tons of wisdom that anyone could benefit from, and I think is relevant to to you know people in all walks of life. So I think that would be you would come out a richer person uh, <laughs> after meeting him, so I think that would be cool. I would then also have Bill Gates, who I don't think we've had. I don't think any of our guests have had Bill Gates, no. which surprises me. Because I think his history is obviously extraordinary. And he's a college dropout. He set up Microsoft at a really young age and uh, built it into one of the biggest companies ever. At times, it's been the biggest. And I just think he's a fascinating guy as well. The, the time when I really got into him was when I watched on YouTube his, I can't remember what they're called, but it's basically the sort of graduation ceremony of um, maybe it was Stanford. I can't remember which one he was at. Um, And it's a speech. It's an hour long or something like that. And it's just an awesome speech. And it was quite ahead of its time because he was talking about how the best minds in America need to in the world um, should be looking at how to make a positive, positive impact in the world. And this was a long time ago now, maybe 10 at least years ago. He was saying "Look, all of you in the audience here are probably going to be going off and, and making money because that's what kind of people tend to, to want to do coming out of an institution like this. Um, but he was just urging people to think again and think, actually, how can how can I make a difference and imagine the difference that would be made in the world if the, the best and brightest went into solving um, the world's big issues rather than going into investment banking and and other things. So I think that's cool. So I th- and also then I watched Netflix's Bill's Brain, which was cool.
0: Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. This oh, really? was
1: sort of a Netflix documentary, <laughs> which is great, really good. It's just brilliant. And I think he comes across really well. And look, I know there's controversy around him now, um, but I'm going off what I know. Um, and yeah, that that documentary he came across really well. And then I would also have Alexandria Osario cortez because I think she she's just awesome you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole on youtube watching her sort of dress down the most senior figures in us politics and business i mean it's just impressive because i you know i've watched videos of when i guess she was in her sort of mid late 20s and the way she stands up to these people is just extraordinary i'm an enviable and i know that at the moment i i wouldn't have it in me to do that so i think it's super impressive um but i think if i had her then i would want to replace um Maybe the Dalai Lama with with someone more controversial because I think she thrives off controversy. So she needs someone who's spiky so that she can she can really have a go at them. So I'm going to replace the Dalai Lama with um, maybe Adam Newman or Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, who she's already had a go at, um, just to make the make the dinner a bit more fiery.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that she's a great pick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it would be interesting to have her. Also, because she's in politics and like a lot of what Bill Gates is doing, he needs governments and politicians and stuff on side with the exactly. mass change that he wants. So he would be yeah. interesting. But...
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, James, that, that was awesome. Really enjoyed it. It's always a nice chance to have, have a chat with you and it's good that we can record it. So, yeah, thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's been a good month and we're looking forward to lots of new guests in September. Thanks for listening to Riding Unicorns. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. If you want to receive episodes direct to your inbox, go to ridingunicorns.substack.com and subscribe on there as well. See you next time.